Last week, we were in Acts chapter number 6. So this week, we'll be in Acts chapter number 7. Again, a message that's right on time for this Memorial Day. By way of review, last week we saw the formation of a team. Last Sunday night, we preached on blessed be the team. We saw that team of seven deacons and those twelve apostles formed together. The apostles admitted that they needed help. The widows were being neglected in the daily administration and that that team was formed and that bond was united between pastor and deacon and disciple. And we saw those and that very team begin to turn that area upside down. There was nothing too hard for them. There was nothing that they could not accomplish. By now, uh, the foundations of that area, those Juda- those Judaist foundations, those Pharisees, the synagogues, the Roman cultism that was going through that area, those foundations that they had stood on for so long, those foundations that they had uh, brainwashed people into believing for so long, those very foundations were being shaken, and it was completely and totally rocking the religious world. And we see the Pharisees and San- Sadducees and Sanhedrin did not know what to do with this team that had formed. They could not understand exactly what was happening with this, with these deacons that had come together and these disciples that were multiplying and these apostles that were preaching, and they could not handle them. They did not know how to wrap their minds around it. And we zoom in this morning in our text, if you'll stand with me, Acts chapter number 7. Verse number 51, just scared myself to death with my own handwriting. I looked down at my text and it says Acts chapter 7, verse 1 through 60. All right, that, that, that scared me half to death, but it's, it's verse 51 through 60. Praise God. All right, your feet are going to be all right. All right, page 50, or verse 51. Let's begin reading. Ye stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears, ye do always resist the Holy Ghost as your fathers did, so do ye. Which of the prophets have not your fathers persecuted? And they have slain them which showed him before the coming of the just one, whom ye have been now betrayers and murderers, who have received the law by dispensation of angels and have not kept it. When they heard these things, they were cut to the heart, and they gnashed on him with their teeth. But being full of the Holy Ghost, looked steadfastly into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing on the right hand of God and said, Behold, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing on the right hand of God. Then they cried with a loud voice and stopped their ears and ran upon him with one accord and cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their clothes at a young man's feet whose name was Saul. And they stoned Stephen, calling upon God and saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And he kneeled down and cried with a loud voice, Lord, lay not this sin to their charge. And when they, he had said this, He fell asleep. This morning, I want to preach on this thought, the crowd that killed him. The crowd that killed him. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you so much for the book of Acts. Thank you so much for this church that you set in motion in this book, that your Holy Ghost used these men so mightily and so boldly. Let us look to your word this morning. Let us examine ourselves before the holy pages of Scripture and let us identify what it is in our lives that you're seeking to change, that you're seeking to develop, that you're seeking to sanctify. God, above all, if there's one in this room that does not know the free pardon of sin, that's never bowed at the foot of the cross and asked for salvation, God, and freely received it, God, I pray that you save them by your grace this morning. And I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you. You can be seated. This team had developed to the point that these religious folks got very, very, very nervous. I'm thankful that God still uses the teams of preachers and deacons and disciples. I'm thankful that Anchor of Hope has a team that has come together in this time. Anchor of Hope has a team of people that's willing to put pride aside, put this aside, put that aside 
come together and just see, simply seek God's will and moving forward in the glory of God. If I were to attempt to name all the people that have come to me and come to my family and said, I'd like to help with this or I'd like to help with that, we'd be here all morning, we'd be here all afternoon. If I just simply went into the testimony of each and every one of the members of Anchor of Hope that has come up and said, I'd like to do this, or if you need help with this, or anything you want me to do, just point and shoot, I'll go do it. You let me know, I'd be here all morning. I first want to point out that this place, this church, this family is a team. And I'm thankful for each and every one of you. I'm thankful for each and every family that has stepped up, every elder person that may thought, hey, I was going to sit down, I was going to be done, but now I'm getting myself back in the game. I'm putting myself back on the team. Each and every young person that has decided that, hey, I may be young, I may not know a lot about this thing, but I can help, I can do something, I can sing a song, I can turn on a light switch, I can turn off a thermostat, I can do something. I want to be part of this team. I thank you, Anchor of Hope. But when Christians come together on their own, when Christians decide that they're going to look past the ways of the world, that they're going to put people, parties, politics, and all that mess aside, and they're going to come together and they're going to be Christians and they're going to follow Jesus together, it makes religious people very, very nervous. It makes the people in power and people in, in politics very, very nervous when the power of the Holy Ghost and when the power of Christ indwells His people in one accord and they can begin to march forward for the glory of God. That's what we see happen here. To give you a little bit of backstory of how Stephen ended up in this position, we've just read the text of the stoning of the deacon Stephen. He <clears throat> came to that place and he preached in that synagogue and uh, he gave them a red hot fire and brimstone message that started with Abraham and ended with Jesus and they were now willing to kill him, to stone him because of that. Well, what had happened is uh, the church had come together and some things started to come together in that region. Some things started to happen. What happened? Number one, the rebels felt invited. When the lost see true Christian love and true Christian fellowship, they witness people from all walks of life coming together to fellowship and worship and work together. The lost started to take note. Those pagans started to take note. Those ones that had worshipped the emperor of Rome, those ones that had worshipped the laws of the Sanhedrin, now we're beginning to witness Christians coming together and looking past heritage and looking past lineage and looking past family history and looking past race and looking past color, looking past all the political parties and all that mess and all that garbage and simply coming together and loving one another. And that began to shake that region when the lost started to realize, hey, wait a second, they're not out here pointing the finger at me. They're asking me to come in. They're not out here telling me that I'm a horrible person. They're telling me that Jesus loves me and that He wants to save me and that He wants to forgive me. And the lost started to feel invited. The lost started to feel welcome. And the lost came to those places. They would hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. They would realize how simple it was to be a Christian, how simple it was to accept salvation. They would do it. They'd be saved by the grace of God. And then that whole process would begin again. They would begin to reach out to their families and their lost loved ones. And that whole process of the gospel would just rotate around because the rebels felt invited. If there's one message Anchor of Hope ought to send is that you are welcome here. It's because God loves everyone. God wants to save everyone. God wants to heal everyone. God wants to cleanse everyone. There's no sinner too low or too wicked that God cannot save. When the rebels feel invited, the Holy Ghost can move. He can change them from the inside out. But they'll never come. They'll never hear unless they feel invited. The rebels felt invited. Now, also, the righteous felt invigorated. Nothing drives a team like success. Next to leadership, teamwork is the key motivator and moving forward together. We have heard it said that no one wants to get on a sinking ship. We have heard that said many times. No one wants to get on a sinking ship. If you look out into the lake out right now, I'm sure on Chickamauga Lake there are boats everywhere for this Memorial Day weekend. They are everywhere. And in those boats, I know for a fact, because I work on them for a living, that there are people out on the lake right now 
in a boat that only take those boats out once a year on Memorial Day weekend, maybe on Labor Day weekend. All right. And that's the only time they ever take that boat to the lake. So, you know what? They forget a few things. They forget to pack an extra life jacket. They forget to pack a cooler. They forget to pack a swim diaper for the kids. And it's just a mess everywhere. And they they forget to do these things. All right. Because they've only done it once a year. But when they're out there, the most important thing they could forget is the drain plug, right? If you've ever known a boat, you know that there's a thing in the back that you screw in there, and it's the drain plug. It's so that the water can come out, the water that gets in the boat when it's in storage. But if you forget to put that plug in, guess what's going to happen to that boat? Guess what's going to happen to that ship? It's going to sink. All right, I guarantee you today, right here, mark it down on whatever today's date is, 2020, there is going to be somebody on Chickamauga Lake that forgot to put in the drain plug. Probably several people, all right? And no matter how much they yell, no matter how much they scream, I guarantee you they will not be able to convince anybody to get on their boat with them. Why? Because it is sinking. However, when the boat is not sinking, when the boat is moving forward, when the boat is filled with joy, when the boat is filled with happiness, when the boat is heaven bound, everybody wants to get on it. Can I see it? Can I get an amen? When the boat is going somewhere, when the boat is crossing that Jordan, when the boat is headed for heaven, when the land, when the boat is headed for the land of milk and honey, everybody wants to get on that boat. Everybody wants to be a part of it. The righteous were feeling invigorated. When they began to see the Holy Ghost moving and the Holy Ghost working and people coming together, they were motivated like they'd never been motivated before. Can you imagine the earthquake, the earth shakes that were taking place in this church, the movements of God, the Holy Ghost revivals that were taking place? People that would never have set foot and heard the gospel before are now hearing it and they're receiving it. Can you imagine how motivated these apostles were? Imagine how motivated the preachers were. Nothing motivates your preacher more than seeing you, the church of the living God, coming together, working together for the cause of Christ, for the glory of God. Nothing is more motivating to a saved person than seeing other saved people doing God's work. Amen? The righteous felt invigorated and the religious felt intimidated. Again, nothing makes religious people more nervous than Christians coming together and working together. And when I say religious people... I'm not talking about Christians like you and me. I'm talking about people that are just religious people. I'm talking about people that have religion only. Everything is founded in what daddy did or grandpa did or mama did. And all they have is this surface value. All they have is a head knowledge. All they know is you're supposed to do this and you're not supposed to do this. But there's never been a change inside their heart. There's never been repentance in their heart. They've never had a relationship with Jesus Christ. They've never had relationship. They've only had religion. Christ does not require a conference, a committee, a commerce, a chamber, a chairman, a convention, a courtroom or a council. Christ only needs Christians and his church to accomplish his will. Can, that, can somebody agree to that? Church, only thing God needs to accomplish his will here on earth is Christians. And he doesn't even require that. He chooses to allow us to be part of His ministry. He chooses to allow us to be a witness. He chooses to allow us to be missionaries. He chooses to allow us to worship Him and to come and dwell together with one accord. And this makes religious people, political people, people who are in it for the wrong reasons, very, very nervous. What do you mean there's a church over there on Lakeview Drive and they don't have anybody telling them what to do? How in the world are they getting together? How in the world are they getting along? Nobody's telling them what to think. Nobody's telling them what to believe. Let me tell you, friend, each and every one of them has a Bible. Each and every one of them reads that Bible. Each and every one of them prays. And when they come together, they can dwell together in holy unity. And it's going to make those religious folk, those head knowledge only, those ones that are in it for the wrong reasons, those ones that are seeking to control, those ones that are seeking to divide, it's going to make them very, very, very nervous. Because they can't control it anymore. That's what's happening here. That's why Stephen ended up being interrogated before that synagogue. 
they find this deacon. No doubt they ask the question, what's a deacon? What, what, who are you? I thought we only had the 12 disciples to worry about, 12 apostles. I thought we only had to worry about those preachers. It's hard enough dealing with Peter. Who's the Stephen guy? He's coming and he's preaching and now he's full of the Holy Ghost and he's doing signs and wonders and he's doing miracles. Who's What in the world is a deacon? Makes religious people very, very nervous when a deacon can get a hold of God just like the preacher can. And when the deacon can come and preach and when the deacon can come and pray and when the deacon can come and witness, it makes those religious Pharisees very, very nervous and they begin to question and they begin to interrogate Stephen and they drug him into the synagogue and they begin to yell at him and fuss at him, and then Stephen preaches probably one of the greatest messages next to the messages of Christ in your Bible. If you were to begin reading back in the beginning of chapter number 7, from verse number 2, it says, And he said, Men and brethren and fathers, hearken. That's what he said. You know what he said? He said, Men, listen up. And from verse 2 all the way down through verse 60, he preaches one of the most red-hot sermons that's in your Bible. You ought to read it. I'm not going to do that to you this morning. It scared me to death when I thought my text verse said 1 through 60. I thought I was going to have to obey my own outline and read 60 verses to you this morning. But I challenge you, go home, read this message that he preached. Read the complete and total collection of Scripture that he gave the outline from Abraham to Jesus. And he explained exactly who it was that they killed, exactly who it was that they refused to listen to. And he drew the picture very clear that they had messed up and they had killed the chosen one. So that's how Stephen has ended up before this crowd. But this morning, I'd like not to look at Stephen. We know Stephen was full of the Holy Ghost. We know Stephen preached one of the greatest messages we've ever heard preached in our Bibles. We know Stephen was a deacon. We know he wasn't in his position very long, and here he is about to become, next to Christ, the first martyr for Christianity. We see Stephen here begin his ministry as a deacon, and now, one chapter later, his life's on the line. And I don't want to look at Stephen necessarily this morning, but I want to look at that crowd that killed him. I want to look at those people that threw the stones. I want to look at those people that wanted Stephen dead. Number one, the crowd contained religious generations. Look back with me at verse 51. Ye stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart. That's what it's called, stubborn pride. Stubborn pride pride. These religious generations had become so stubborn, so prideful, that no one was going to tell them that they were wrong. That no one was going to tell them that they didn't have it all figured out. No one was going to tell them that all those laws that they kept and all those statutes that they demanded and all that money that they required for sacrifices and all those rituals and all those ceremonies and all those things meant nothing in the light of the grace of Jesus Christ. Nobody was going to say, hey, this gospel thing is going to answer all of our problems, that nobody's righteous. They were not about to be told that they were not good enough to go to heaven. They were not about to be told that there was one named Jesus who said, all men must enter through me. I am the door. I am the life. It's not the law anymore. By the law shall no flesh be justified, but by grace, for it is the gift of God and the salvation to the Jew first and also to the Greek. These men were so stubborn. They were so prideful. They were not willing to hear that. It was systematic pride. Look at verse number 52. Which of the prophets have not, look at that word, your fathers, your fathers, persecuted. Why were they persecuting the men of God? Because their fathers did. Why did their fathers persecute the prophets of God? Because their fathers did. Why did those fathers persecute the people of God? 
Because their fathers did. You see the systematic religion that's taking place here? Right here in our area, you can go knock on a door and you can say, hey, I'm from Anchor of Hope Baptist Church. Do you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? And a lot of people say, oh yes, of course, I'm Catholic. All right, And you can respond to that question, okay, well, what's it mean to be a Catholic? And they simply respond, well, my dad was Catholic and my mom was Catholic. Am I wrong? Oh, all right, well, well, what's it mean to be a Catholic? What does that actually mean? And they say, oh, well, it's very simple. Their parents were Catholics. Okay, all right, yeah, but, but, but what do you believe? What, what does it mean to follow Catholicism? What does it mean to follow the guy in the funny hat? You call him the Pope. What does it mean to do these things? What, what's your religion all about? And they say, I was born a Catholic. What don't you understand? They're missing it. They're simply walking through this life, lost as a goose, thinking that they have it all figured out because they were born into something their father handed them. The Pharisees were no different. They were simply doing what they were taught to do by their fathers and their fathers and their fathers and their fathers, and it becomes very dangerous. Don't mishear me. I'm all for tradition. I'm all for staying by the stuff. I'm all for the old past. But when we do something simply because Daddy did it, it can get very dangerous very fast. Very fast. Again, don't mishear me. I'm all for traditions. I'm all for walking that straight line. But those traditions have to be founded in the Holy Scripture of God. Those traditions have to be founded in the Holy Writ of God Himself. Those traditions can't just be because Daddy did it or Granddaddy did it. Because guess what? Daddy wasn't perfect. Granddaddy wasn't perfect. God is. And if we're going to found our traditions in something, it cannot be in a man. It cannot be in a woman. It cannot be in religion. It has to be in the holy pages of Scripture. And that's what these people were up to. They were looking at systematic pride. They said, this is right. And the only basis we have is that our dad said it was right. And his dad said it was right. We've been doing this for so long. How could it be wrong? Think about it. Let that sink in. We've been doing this this way for so long. Stephen, how in the world could it be wrong? How, Stephen, how could you be right and all those generations be wrong? Sound familiar? How could you be right and all the hundreds of years of those popes be wrong? It's systematic pride. It's raising up a generation to say, this is right, son, because I say it's right. God's nowhere in the picture. That's what Stephen was up against. That's what was in this crowd that killed him. Sacrilegious pride. Let me give verse number 53. Who have received the law by disposition of angels and have not kept it. This was the lineage of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. These were the ones Moses led out of Egypt. These were the ones that walked into the promised land. Did never lost to an enemy. These were the ones that Joshua led and the, the walls of Jericho came tumbling down. These were the ones that God chose to set apart, that God forgave time and time again. They, Stephen is looking at them and he's saying, you have been given the law by dispensation of angels. Moses was on Mount Sinai and God wrote them with his very hand. You have been given these laws and you have not even thought it respectful enough. You have not even thought it gracious enough. You have not even thought it important enough to keep the very law which you stay, you're standing behind. It was sacrilegious pride. They had completely taken. This right here is a piece of paper I printed this morning. So they taken the law and crumbled it up. They said, Thou shalt have no other gods before me. Well, I'm going to worship myself today, so there goes the law. Sacrilegious pride. 
I want you to understand who we're dealing with here. Who was in that crowd that killed him? That crowd's still around today. Might be closer than you might think. Number two, the crowd contained rageful gnashing. Look at verse number 54. Stephen let him have it. He preached it straight. When they had heard these things, they were cut to the heart. Convicting power. Convicting power. To be in that synagogue after Stephen said amen. After Stephen preached that message. And the Bible records, when they heard these things, they were cut to the heart. Do you realize that that same convicting power that was in that synagogue is the same convicting power God can use here at Anchor of Hope? Do you realize that that same convicting power that was there in that synagogue is the same convicting power that He can use at the Chattanooga Rescue Mission or NHC Nursing Home or Erlanger Hospital or Memorial Hospital? That same convicting power that was alive in the book of Acts is the same convicting power that He draws men unto salvation with today. The truth of the matter is that the sword of the Word of God has never grown dull. It's never needed to be sharpened. It's always been able to cut where it needs to be cut. It's always been able to divide what needs to be divided. It's always been able to surgically and precisely open up the hearts of men and open up the hearts of men, women to be able to receive the truth of the gospel. But the fact of the matter is, is the truth hurts. The truth does not tickle our flesh. The truth does not make us feel happy and joyful. The truth of the matter is that we're all sinners in the hands of an angry God and that we're all going to hell if it's not for God's grace and that none of us deserve heaven and that none of us deserve another breath. We don't have any rights. The only right we have is to burn in the lake of fire for eternity. And that is the truth of the matter. That is the fact of the matter. And that is painful. It was convicting power when Stephen spoke. He did not take that opportunity to lace up his tennis shoes and skinny jeans and just tell them all he was just happy for him to be there and just put on a show. He delivered a message that cut to the heart. There was conviction in his preaching. There was conviction in his voice. And the Holy Ghost was able to use that message to cut the hearts of that crowd to make sure that deep, deep down they knew what the truth was. In the days ahead, as we look for a preacher, I hope the preaching is always going to cut. I hope the preaching is always going to divide. I hope the preaching is always going to hurt our toes. Why? Because we're never right unless we're like Jesus. And if we never get told how we're not like Jesus, we'll never know what to change. Amen? Convicting power. Cultish people. Okay, 52 again. Or 54. When they heard these things, they were cut to the heart. And they gnashed on him with their teeth. Newsflash. Despite what I was taught my whole life, they didn't bite Stephen. If you study this out, this is the gnashing of teeth that God also used when he was describing hell. Weeping and wailing in the gnashing of teeth. It simply means to be so enraged, to be so angry, to be so frustrated, to be so completely and totally overwhelmed with hate and disposition and rage that you have to grind your teeth. You cannot even utter words. You cannot even speak. 
You don't even know what to say. You can't say anything. These people, this crowd became so enraged, became so angry. The only thing they could respond after they had felt that conviction, they had become so blinded by their sin. They had become so blinded by their pride that the only thing they could do was grind those teeth, was to get angry, was to get rageful. And I would submit to you that those people are still around today. There could be one sitting in here that when they hear the truth, when they hear about their sin, the only thing they can do is get mad. The only thing they can do is get angry. They have pushed their place to the point. They have pushed themselves to the point where the only response they have to the gospel is pure and total rage, pure and total anger. And it had become a cultish people that when they heard the truth and they knew the truth and they were convicted by the truth, the only thing they could provide, the only answer that they could give was pure and total rage. They gnashed on him with their teeth. They couldn't say anything. They couldn't respond. There was no rebuttal. How many of you got family members out there that you've seen this weekend that you haven't seen in a while? Because it's Memorial Day and we're gathering together. I got to see one of my liberal relatives yesterday. It was great. Had a good conversation. He began to talk and discuss the topic of murder. He calls it abortion. And we began to discuss and he began to try to defend. and He began to defend it as a woman's choice. And I said, okay, you can defend choice all day long. But can you defend murder? Do you agree that a baby is dying? Yes, I agree that a baby's dying. Okay, well then defend that. Because Christians, they never can defend that. They always have to step away from that issue and defend the woman's choice. But that's not the issue at all. The issue is what is actually taking place. But they have to push away from that because you can't defend it. Anyone in their right mind, anyone who's not clinically insane, cannot defend murder. And he kept rebuttaling and he kept dodging this way and dodging that way. And I said, sir, is there any way you can tell me and explain to me why that murder is okay? And it got to the point where it was. I saw it. I said, praise God, my outline's doing something. He was gnashing those teeth. He couldn't he couldn't defend it. You can't defend it. It's wrong. God says it's wrong. Murder. But I saw it in a man right here today. In my own very family. Gnashing teeth. When you become so blinded by your own pride, so blinded by your own sin, the only response you have left to the gospel is anger. You're so full of yourself. You're so full of the devil. That's all you got left. Anger. A rageful gnashing. So the crowd contained religious generations. It contained rageful gnashing. But most importantly and lastly, the crowd contained rejectors of the gospel. Verse number 57. And they cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears and ran upon him with one accord and cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their clothes at a young man's feet whose name was Saul. And they stoned Stephen, calling upon God as Stephen was calling upon God, saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. First we saw deaf ears. The only way they could carry out the execution that was in their hearts, the only way they could carry out and kill this man and murder this man was to literally stop their ears. No one rejects the gospel by accident. 
You have to reject the gospel by choice. You have to close your ears intentionally. When you hear the gospel of Jesus Christ preached, there is no such thing as being indifferent to it. You either accept it or you reject it. And sometimes if you're out there and the only way you're able to come to grips with the fact that you're not going to say yes to Jesus is to simply cover your ears, is to simply say, I'm just going to play dumb to it. I'm just going to pretend like I didn't hear it. I'm going to pretend like it doesn't affect me. I'm going to pretend like that preacher's not talking to me. I'm going to pretend I've been in church for 10 years. I've been in church for 50 years. I'm going to pretend that he's not talking to me. And over time, we stuff so many cotton balls in our ears. We keep our ears so plugged up that we don't even hear the gospel in its simplicity anymore. We don't even hear the truth of the message that Jesus was was crucified, died, buried, and rose again on the third day. We can't even understand it anymore. That's what these men had to do when they came to grips. When it came to decision time, they had to willfully, initially close their ears so that they could carry out what they wanted to do. They had to become deaf to the gospel. Have you become deaf to the gospel? It wasn't by accident. It was by your own choice. By your own choice. There is no such thing as being indifferent to the gospel. Either you accept it or you reject it. There's no such thing as saying, I don't believe in it. I could walk around, I tell the teenagers this all the time, I could walk around and say, I don't believe in jail. I don't believe in it. It's not a real place. A country as great as America would never send people to a place like jail. Jail sounds terrible. Yet if I walk into a bank and I rob that bank and I shoot somebody and I take all the money and I walk out and the police officers are arresting me and I say, no, you don't understand, officers. I don't believe in jail. Where are they taking me? Jail. No, officer, you don't understand. You can't possibly take me to that place. I don't believe in it. It's not real in my eyes. I've determined that it can't possibly be true, officer. You're crazy. Who are you to tell me what's true and what's not? I don't believe in jail, officer. You can't take me there. Ha ha. You, I'm not going. Officer, what's that officer going to take you to? The truth is not up to us. We can close our ears. We can act indifferent as much as we want to, but it doesn't change the reality of the lake of fire. It doesn't change the reality of eternal separation from God if we do not repent of our sins. No matter how much we scream from the rooftops that we don't believe in it, no how much we scream from the rooftops that a holy and righteous God could never send somebody to hell, He can. He can give you exactly the desire of your heart. And if your desire is to be eternally separated from a God who loves you, then that is exactly what He will give you. But it will be by your decision and your willfulness to close your ears to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Why? Because it's out there. It's being taught. It's being preached. It's accessible from all over the world now through the internet. You can hear a message. You can hear the gospel. You can get a Bible. You can read a Bible. At any point in your human life, you have to choose not to. There was damning evidence. Before things got messy, look what took place in verse number 58. And cast him out of the city. So they got security together. They tossed Stephen out of the synagogue. Slammed him out of the city so that it didn't take place on their soil. Cast him out of the city. And then what began to happen? And stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their clothes at a young man's feet whose name was Saul. If you're a scholar out there, research that. You'll find about 150 different opinions on why they did that. And a lot of them are very overcomplicated. A lot of them try to find it in Jewish tradition of why they would have taken their garments off and laid them at the feet of Saul. A lot of them would overcomplicate it and say it was because of this tradition or this mandate or this procedure, but none of those procedures or mandates are found in Leviticus. They're not found in Deuteronomy. They're not found in the Torah, the books of the law. The truth is, is nobody truly understands why they did that, but I think it's much simpler than that. I think it was, things are about to get messy. 
I'm going to take my garments off. I'm going to lay them at the feet of Saul. Things are about to get messy. We're about to stone this man. We're about to take boulders, pick them up, and hoist them and throw them as hard as we can at this man's head, at this man's chest, at this man's arms, at this man's legs. We are about to pummel him into a pile that doesn't even resemble a human anymore. We are about to absolutely destroy this man, disfigure this man. We are about to wipe his name from the pages of the earth. We're about to turn him into the dirt. And before we can do that, we have to make sure our, our religious cloaks don't get any blood on them. We saw the same thing back in the crucifixion of Christ when he washed his hands, remember? He said, I made this decision to kill Jesus, but I'm washing my hands of it. These men were doing the exact same thing. We are going to decide to stone Stephen. We are going to try to shut the mouth of this man. We're going to try to send a message to that team that's preaching Jesus that this is what happens when you mess with us. That if you mess with us, you're going to get stoned. You're going to be beaten. You're not going to be able to breathe anymore. You're not going to be able to see the light of day anymore. We will kill you. But before we do, let's take off these pharisaical cloaks. Let's take off these religious garments. Because we don't want that blood to stain our, 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 our Sunday best. Because next Sunday, we've got to walk back into the synagogue and pretend like everything's okay. I'm going to kill this man. But I'm just going to... It's very simple. And they laid them down at the feet of who? They laid them down with somebody they knew that would keep them clean. That would make sure that their charade could be kept up. No doubt Saul looked at him and said, go handle the dirty work. I'll clean you up when you get back. We'll put you right back in the synagogue. Put you right back on the platform. Put you right back by the ark, by the Holy of Holies. Put you right back over here, speaking metaphorically. Put you right over here. We'll put you right over here. We'll, we'll prop you back up. We'll make sure nobody knows. We'll keep your clothes clean. We'll keep your hands clean. Just go silence this man. Go silence this deacon. Go silence this message. And you send a message. But they were worried about getting that blood on them, weren't they? They were worried about it. They were convicted about it. Lastly, a dooming execution. They killed him. In verse number 59. And they stoned Stephen. I'm sure glad they don't do that to people anymore. Because if they did, a lot less people would be breaking the law. I guarantee you that. Bullets weren't an option. Lethal injection wasn't an option. The gallows sometimes was too public. Took too long to organize. The Roman guillotine sometimes was just too big of a spectacle. But when they got to looking around and they realized they could just go get some big rocks just keep slamming them into him over and over and over. They could drag the body off, hide it, put the rocks back where they go, carry on their business. The crowd that killed him, they realized that he wasn't the first one that they had killed. They realized that they had killed the darling son of God. That they realized that they had crucified the very one who'd come to save them from their souls. And here's what they thought. If we can just kill one more man, if we can just silence one more messenger, if we can just hush up one more preacher, if we can make sure he breathes and never breath, this message will stop. If we can make an example out of him, if we can murder him, if we can kill him, this message will stop. This message will end. Were they right or were they wrong? They were dead wrong. Yet the blood was on their hands. Who are you willing to kill 
so that you don't hear this message anymore. Those listening by audio, who are you willing to kill? Whose head are you willing to cut off so that you don't hear this message anymore? How many children won't speak to parents because they're tired of being witnessed to? How many husbands won't speak to wives because they're tired of the wives telling them about Jesus? How many wives won't speak to husbands because they're tired about the husbands sharing Jesus with them? You see, that crowd is much closer than we think. That crowd that killed him are our neighbors, are our co-workers. They're the lost. Can you imagine if you and I were in Stephen's shoes? Just to be dead level honest, how much hate, I'll speak for myself, I would have for that crowd. How much disdain I would have for that crowd. How frustrated I would be with that crowd. He called him, you stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart. How much frustration. You'd never want to see that crowd in heaven. You'd never want to hear their names again. You'd want to make sure that they never got to serve God again. You'd want to kick them out. You'd want to put them on the street. You'd want to treat them like the dogs that they were. But that's not what Stephen's attitude was. That's not what God's attitude was. That's not what Jesus' attitude was. Look at verse number 16. It says, And he kneeled down and cried with a loud voice, Lord, lay not this sin to their charge. In their condemnation, in their sin, Stephen displayed grace. Stephen displayed forgiveness. As he's about to go into the next world, no doubt rock after rock had begun to pummel him. They began to stone him three verses earlier. No doubt maybe one side of his face was completely blackened. The other side of his face was cut open. No doubt he had ribs broken. No doubt he had organs that were shutting down, limbs that were failing. He cries out and he says, Lord, lay not this sin to their charge. Sound familiar? Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. The truth of the matter is, the crowd that killed Stephen is the same crowd that killed Jesus. And it's the same crowd that's sitting in Anchor Hope Baptist Church today. Do you realize that your sins and my sins nailed the darling Son of God to the cross? That crowd is each and every one of us. God gave me this message to say this. He forgives them. Do we? He forgives them. Do we? Is that crowd welcome in the house of God? Do we go out? Do we reach out? Do we invite? Or do we have that anger and that disdain? You are just religious. You are just rageful. You're mad. You're angry. You have the evidence, the blood on your hands. Or do we say, come, as Jesus did. Come to church with me. Let me tell you about Jesus. Let me tell you about the love of God. Let me tell you about what he did in my life. Each and every Christian in this room, you may not be a preacher, you may not be a preacher, you may not be a deacon. You may be man, you may be woman, but you have a testimony. You have a way you can witness. You have a way you can be an effective witness and let the Holy Spirit of God use you. Let the Holy Ghost of God use you. But only if you're willing to look at the crowd that killed them and love them anyways. Miss Joy comes to the instruments. Lay not this sin to their charge. I want to challenge each and every member, each and every visitor of Anchor Pope Baptist Church. As we preach this morning, who do you know in your life that's in that crowd that yelled crucify him? Who do you know that's in that crowd that's yelling my body, my choice, 
Who do you know that's in that crowd that says, I can love who I want to love? Who do you know that's in that crowd that's, they're pointing that finger at the church and they're pointing that finger at the gospel and they're pointing that finger at God and they're saying, we hate you. We don't want anything to do with you as Miss Joy begins to play. Who's that person? You know their name. You know their name. If you don't come pray for them, who will? If you don't come put their name on the altar, who will? Each and every one of us ought to have somebody. Each and every one of us ought to have somebody. Sometimes it might be closer to home. It might be our kids, maybe our husbands, maybe our wives. Some of us might be a little farther out, maybe a coworker, maybe a neighbor. But we all know somebody in that crowd standing all over the house. You need to come to the altar. You come. We all know somebody in that crowd. Is Anchor of Hope going to be the one that prays for that crowd or the one that just throws the stones? If we throw the stones, we're no better than them, are we? If we throw the stones, we'll be guilty of exactly what that crowd was guilty of. Church, I know there's people in this building that are hurting. I know there's people in this building that have their own burdens. That have their own things that they're dealing with. But could you honestly say they're more important than the lost hearing the gospel? Pray for the lost this morning. God, thank you for your word. Thank you for Stephen. Thank you for a man that would just stand and tell the truth. God, even in his final hour, even as the light was closing fast on his consciousness, even as the stones were flying at his very face, as the revilings, as the cursings, as the religious Pharisees and Sadducees and the Sanhedrin begin to blaspheme him and murder him, even in his dying breath, he said, lay not this sin to their charge. Reminds us of that memorial day of all memorial days on that hill of Golgotha. When your son cried out, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. God, I'm burdened for the lost. I don't want to have church just for the sake of having church. I want to have church so that we can see the lost come in and be saved, so that we can see lives come in and be changed, so that we can see... Your Holy Spirit do a wonderful work in this time, in this community, through all the circumstances that would seek to stop us, through all the circumstances that would seek to divide us. God, I pray that your Son just be lifted high and lifted up and be magnified and that the name of Jesus would spread throughout this area and they would know that there's a God in heaven and there's a God that's using Anchor of Hope Baptist Church. God, thank you for even letting us. Thank you for even allowing us to be a light in this community. Thank you for that we're getting an opportunity to just be a part of the mission of the gospel, that we're getting to just be a part and do things for you and your kingdom. God, I pray that we not throw stones at the crowd that killed them, but we, we love them, we invite them, we share the gospel with them. Use your people. I thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen.